So we have uh, finished our survey of chapter 1, 2, and 3 of the revelation of Jesus Christ. Chapters 4 and 5 essentially deal with St. John, the Apostle John, uh, going to heaven. Now, uh, there have been books written by people who have had uh, near-death experiences or they were um, declared uh, dead and they do, in fact, come back to life and they claim to have had an experience uh, in heaven. And there are people that talk on the radio and go on television stations claiming the same things. But um, here we have uh, someone in uh, 4 and 5 that actually uh, goes to heaven, goes in the presence of God, and we have some information there which we are going to deal with, but not this time. I would like to begin today with um, the question, well, what happened to all these churches? What happened to all these churches? So beginning at chapter 2, to the angel of the church of Ephesus write, and we have some instructions, then at verse 7, he who has an ear... Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Our next church, Smyrna, at verse 8. To the angel of the church of Smyrna, write, and we have things written, and then the conclusion of it is at verse 11, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, he who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. At verse 11, to the church at Pergamos, the angel of the church at Pergamos write, and we have a message, and then at 17, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat, And I will give him a white stone, and on the stone a new name written, which no one knows except him who receives it. And then at verse 18, to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, and we have the message, and it ends at verse 29 with, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Chapter 3, and to the angel of the church in Sardis write, and we have this message, ending at verse 6, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. At verse 7, to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, and we have this message, and then the conclusion of it is, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And finally, our seventh church, Laodicea, at verse 14. And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans, write. And we have the conclusion at verse 22. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So, repeated many times, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. There are five churches that have problems, two churches that do not, that are given just encouragement. But in the case of all of these churches, they are to hear what the Spirit says to that church. 
What happened to these churches? Did they hear? Well, for this, we need to go to the history books. We need to go to the history books. And what we see is that all of these churches collapsed. They all collapsed. By the time the uh, uh, Muslims, by the time Islam conquered all of this area, these churches are pretty much gone. With one exception in Philadelphia, uh, there are some Christians there today who claim that they can trace their ancestry all the way back to the time of the first century and the church that was in Philadelphia. However, um, it is going to take time for these churches to collapse. And what happens? What brings about the collapse of these churches over time? Well, we don't have the details. Okay, we can speculate, but we just don't have the details. Now, some people have the mindset, and I don't agree with this. And if I'm wrong, I apologize, but I don't agree with this. Some people have the mindset that when a local congregation is seeing people leaving, people dying and not being replaced, then that congregation must be doing something right. Well, maybe, again, maybe not, maybe not. In the providence of God, all kinds of things happen. Here's the point I want to make. I don't think we can say that these seven churches that eventually collapsed by the time the Muslim world takes control of this area, I don't think we can say that it is because of their sin, because of their wrongdoing. I don't think we can necessarily say that. The church has been and will continue to be persecuted by the forces of darkness in various places in the world and at various times. I do not believe that uh, the gates of hell shall prevail over, shall overcome uh, the church. I don't believe that. But there are times when things get rough. And so one of the things that I think of after reading these seven letters is, well, what happened to these churches? And what happened to them? And again, eventually, by the time of the uh, Islamic takeover of this part of the world, they're pretty much gone. That's not to say that there are no Christians. That's not to say that there are no Christians. And of course, those of us who remember a little bit of our world history, uh, the Crusades were at least initially uh, launched in order to take back part of the Holy Land, which was under Islamic control. So there were some Christians there. Uh, there were some Christians there. But that is, the, uh, that, is the, that is pretty much the end of these churches by the time Islam gains control of that area. Um, so any comments or questions? All right. So now we move forward. And I've indicated you I've indicated to you before that beginning at chapter four, more so, more so beginning at chapter six, that's where we get into all of the controversy about uh, what we read in Revelation. Um,
especially starting at chapter 6. Now, because of verses 1, 2, and 3 of Revelation chapter 1, I believe that from chapter 6 to chapter 19, we're dealing with events which must what? Soon take place. Soon take place. Because the time is? Near. Because the time is near. Now, there are those who say those words apply only to everything up to the end of chapter 3. Well, I don't think so. I don't think so. Um, So what do we have from chapter 4 through chapter 19? What do we have? Well, there are a lot of people who say what we have here, especially heavy duty beginning at verse 6, is we have an account of what takes place during the tribulation. During the tribulation. The great tribulation. And so uh, we look briefly at this idea of a great tribulation. Today what I want to do is uh, two things. We won't have, I hope we have time for both. Uh, Give you a quick review of a system of biblical interpretation called dispensationalism. I've done this before, but I want this in your mind. I want this in your mind. And then after that, I want to give you the an overview, what I think is a, a common view by dispensationalists of what the tribulation is all about. Why? Well, because that's what a lot of people say, chapters uh, 6 through 19, and you can include a little bit, of chapter 4 and 5, that's what it's all about. I don't think so. I don't think so. But I want you to know why. So, um, maybe I have enough sheets, maybe I don't. I I don't know. But uh, I'll... Uh, two, three, four, five. Now, dispensationalism is very much alive and well today. For those of you that uh, doubt that, um, listen to Christian radio, watch Christian television, read some of the uh, Christian magazines that are out, and you will definitely see it. Very much alive and well today. Okay, did I pass out enough here? So, the dispensationalist has a system of beliefs about how people are saved, a system of beliefs about the future, a system of beliefs about the church, system of beliefs about the kingdom of God, a whole bunch of stuff. Where does it all come from? Well, to the best of my knowledge, it begins with John N. Darby a leader in the Plymouth Brethren movement in England in the 1830s. Comes to the United States through a man named C.I. Schofield, who writes notes on the Bible and produces what is called the Schofield Bible. And Schofield, you go into any... um, 
Christian bookstore, uh, Bible store, so forth and so on, I still think you find various versions of the Schofield Bible on all the shelves. This is not something that has disappeared, not something that is hidden. Uh, Description of the system. It is mainly a system of biblical interpretation, which divides the Bible into separate periods or dispensations. And when it comes to interpreting the Bible, the Bible must be interpreted in terms of the dispensation that the part of the Bible deals with. That's the idea. To quote Schofield, a dispensation is a period of time during which man is tested in respect to obedience to some specific revelation of the will of God. Page 5 of the Schofield Reference Bible. Uh, There are different dispensations because man fails the dispensational tests. So, when you go through the dispensations which I've listed here, why is there uh, the next dispensation after innocence? Well, because of failure. Why the dispensation after conscience? Because of failure. Failure, failure, failure. That is the history of the human race, failure. Man is, from this point of view, always being tested. Tested according to a particular principle. Number two, God's plan of redemption in the Bible cannot be fully understood except through an understanding of these dispensations. And uh, you find that written by a well-known dispensationalist, George Beckwith, uh, from his God's prophetic plan, page 22. And so what's going on here is the idea that you need to know your dispensations, and then you need to interpret the Bible in terms of those dispensations. Now, I object to this very, very strongly. I object to saying that we need to, need to, we must interpret the Bible in terms of anything that people have written. I think the Bible, the basics of the Bible, as a result of the work of the Holy Spirit in the heart, the mind of someone, people can understand what they need to know about God, about themselves, about how they are to live, how they are to be saved, be made right with God by reading the Holy Bible itself. I don't think we have to say, you want to understand the Bible? Okay, we've got to give you a year's lesson in uh, the Westminster Confession of Faith, or a year's lesson in the Schofield Bible, or a year's lesson in something else. No, it is the Scripture alone that has the authority, the clarity, and the sufficiency to give us basically what we need. Some people don't like this, but uh, I do. Uh, Bible, well, that comes from the Greek word... uh, uh, basically, canon, which is book, but uh, Bible basic instructions before leaving earth. Uh, the Bible gives us the basic instructions that we need before we leave this world. And what we need is we need our Bible, and we need to read our Bible. We need to believe our Bible. We need to understand our Bible, which is the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, now we read in the Bible that God has given to the church what? Pastors and teachers for the edification of the saints. So pastors and teachers are to be used, but the way in which we read the pastors and teachers, the way in which you should listen to me and other people is, this is helpful and useful, providing it matches up with the Word of God. Okay? It is helpful, it is useful, providing it matches up with the Word of God. 
Now, there are times when the Word of God is hard for us to understand, not because the Word of God is unclear, but because of various issues, problems that we have within ourselves, one of which is sin, uh, also ignorance. But uh, the Spirit of God enables His people, His children, to understand what? The basic instructions before leaving this world that we need. And so that's critical. I... Uh, some, some people say you've got to have your Schofield Bible in order to understand the Bible. I don't think so. All right, uh, where are we? Uh, four. Schofield believed that there were seven dispensations. Now, modern dispensationalists have cut this down. Okay, they've reduced the numbers, some to three, some to four, some, some, some to eight. But you still have this idea that God is going to test people in different ways at different times, ultimately for the purpose of seeing if they're obedient. Six, uh, there appears to be no official creedal statement of the view of dispensationalism. Uh, you don't find it in any confession of faith, catechism, or doctrinal statement, or national denominational belief or statement in America, but you do have the Schofield Bible, which is uh, probably the best thing to go to. The main alternative to dispensationalism is covenant theology, which... Uh, has been expressed in the Confessions of Faith of the Reformation. You got that. Um, 1689, our Confession of Faith is an example of this. Recently, there's developed what's called New Covenant Theology, and that is still uh, very, very close to historic covenant theology. It is not dispensationalism. With few exceptions, the Bible requires this is important. If you're a dispensationalist, and the way you understand the Bible, this is very important, point eight. With few exceptions, the Bible requires a literal interpretation. Now, dispensationalists admit that there are symbolic words in the Bible, but whenever possible, we must make a literal reference or application to these words. Literal, 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 whenever possible. And so when we get to chapter 20 and there is a reference to a thousand years, well, that's a thousand years. I mean, this is not a long period of time. This is a thousand years. It's got to be a thousand years. Um, so there you have the seven uh, periods or dispensations that the history of the world is to be broken up into. Right now we are in number six the dispensation of grace. And that's from the end of the public ministry of Jesus Christ until the rapture, great tribulation. This is the church dispensation again that we are in now. The next dispensation, there will be a next dispensation brought in after the great tribulation, and that is the dispensation of the kingdom. From the millennium, mentioned in Revelation chapter 20, the thousand-year reign of Christ on earth, to the end of the sinful world. The Old Testament promised, uh, I didn't have room to put in the kingdom of God there, I want to keep it one page, the kingdom of God, uh, promised the kingdom of God uh, as being restored. And this is something that does not exist in the grace dispensation. That's critical. That's critical. 
the kingdom of God that is being promised in the Old Testament through the prophets, it's going to be reestablished, is not something in the hearts of people. No, no. It's an outward, physical, visible, geographical, political, social, military kingdom with a ruler, a visible, real person ruler, ruling from Jerusalem, from a throne in Jerusalem at the temple, and that's Jesus Christ. Uh, Conclusion, uh, divine covenants exist in the dispensations, but God's basic way of dealing with mankind is not by way of covenant. It is by way of dispensation. Number two, there are major differences in the way God deals with man in each dispensation, and man finds himself in a different kind of test and probation for each dispensation. And if you follow the teachings of Schofield, and you ask the question, how were people saved in the Old Testament? Well, what dispensation are you talking about? You've got you to answer that. And then you've got to compare that to the dispensation of grace. And are they saved in the same way? And the dispensational view is no. No. The plan of salvation set forth in the Bible is not one plan for the dispensationalist, but varies from each dispensation. Covenant theology views salvation as one of... Uh, one plan of salvation with different administrations. One plan with different administrations. Essentially the idea that everyone is saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ as he is promised, or Jesus Christ as he has come and we have record of him in the scripture. Okay? Now, again, why do I talk about this? Well, you know, Brother um, Soto here indicated he was listening on the radio the other day to somebody dealing with Revelation the stuff that I've been dealing with, and there's this radically different futuristic view, right? Yeah, he's nodding his head, yeah. Yeah. Why? (laughs) Why? Well, because he has, he's committed to a lot of these principles. You know, it is out there. Uh, When was it? Back in the late 70s, mid-70s, Hal Lindsey came out with a bunch of books. Very popular, television program series and everything. And that is something that caught a lot of people's attention. And it was based on the view that the great tribulation is yet to come and all of this dispensational stuff. So, um, now, the the dispensational view of the great tribulation. Now, if this, if I am belaboring the obvious and uh, boring you and wasting your time, I apologize, but... Not everyone is in that situation. So before the 1830s, no one believed dispensationalism. This was like this system is not. This system did not exist as a system. Components of it you can find bits and pieces here and there in church history, but built together, put together as a system, no. And the dispensationalists admit that. This is not something that you have to drag out of them. Does everyone have one of these? We need another one. Got an extra. Extras. Okay. All right. All right. All right. Okay. So last time we saw that those who believe 
in a great tribulation future, they go to Jeremiah 30, Daniel 12, Matthew 24, and Mark 13. I think the main passage is Matthew 24. That's the main passage that they're going to deal with. And uh, we've gone through this uh, at length. One, the great tribulation hereafter uh, designated GT. No question, unanimously believed, is a seven-year period. It's a seven-year period during which God's wrath is upon those who fail the test of grace. The focus here are the evil Gentile nations. Revelation chapter 6 to 19 provide details about God's wrath during the Great Tribulation. All future. All of the woes, all of the calamities, all of the judgments that we read about from Revelation 6 through 19, this is about the future. This is about the future. God uses an evil world ruler called in the Bible the Antichrist, 2 John 7, the man of sin, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, the beast, mentioned in Revelation 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, and 19, and the false prophet mentioned in 16 and 19, one particular person to pour out his wrath. The Antichrist uh, dispensationalists believe rules over 10 nations in Europe, Asia, Africa, Britain. They get this out of Daniel chapter 7, verses 7 and 26. And this Antichrist will be the most powerful dictator the world has ever seen. He leads an army of Gentiles to persecute the Jews during the Great Tribulation. Key, key principle for a dispensationalist. The Christian church is removed from this world so that it does not go through the Great Tribulation. This removal is called the rapture. This results when Jesus Christ comes. It's sort of a secret coming. He calls his elect, his people, true Christians that are living at this time, to come up with him. And all those in the past that have died that are true believers, they are resurrected. This is the first resurrection. And they go up into the sky to meet Jesus Christ. And they are gone. They are not in the tribulation, this seven-year period. Now, there are others who believe that the millennium is future and there will be a thousand-year uh, rule reign of Christ that are not dispensationalists, they're just premillennialists, and they don't believe this. Dispensationalist says that um, those who are his church um, are those who are no longer under any condemnation. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And that God who loves his people and who has promised no condemnation cannot, will not allow his church to go through the Great Tribulation, which is a time of horrible, terrible 
unimaginable death, suffering, and tragedy. And so the church is removed from this world. Now, many people that are dispensationalists say, look, you know, the Apostle Paul says what? It is through many tribulations that we enter the kingdom of God. Uh, we look at places in Hebrews and elsewhere in the Bible where we see that suffering is not anything new or unusual for Christians. Uh, suffering is one of the ways in which God glorifies himself and builds us up in the faith. And uh, there is, I mean, you just look at what, what happened during Rome, the days of Rome, and the persecution of Christians, real, true Christians. Uh, some pretty nasty stuff going on then. And it continues to go on up through the Middle Ages. And today it continues to exist. This idea that the church, the body of Christ, um, the bride of Christ, uh, because there is now no condemnation for them, there's not going to be any trial, tribulation, or suffering. That, that just doesn't wash with the Bible. But the dispensationalist believes that. The dispensationalist believes that. Revelation chapter 4 at verse 1. Uh, that is a reference allegedly to John being raptured up with the rest of the church to avoid the tribulation. More, more about that later. The Great Tribulation is broken into two three-and-a-half-year periods. During the first three-and-a-half years, the Jews returned to Palestine. Okay? Dispensationalists always really concerned about what's going on with the Jews in Palestine and so forth and so on. They make a covenant with the Antichrist. They don't recognize him as the Antichrist, but he is this powerful world leader, social, political, military, religious leader. They rebuild the temple. They reinstate the Old Testament sacrifices and rituals. They get that from Ezekiel chapter 40 to 48. And they carry out a worldwide evangelism in which there is a return to God message that does not contain the work of Christ on the cross. And this allegedly brings about a transformation in a bunch of people, and they are people that have a positive view about God, but they're not truly, uh, fully what we would call Christian. This is very strange. Um... During the second three-and-a-half-year period, the Antichrist breaks his covenant with the Jews, reveals himself to be an evil person, a man of sin, stops the Jewish sacrifices and rituals, sets up his image in the temple and commands that he be worshipped, the Jews refuge, and the Antichrist gathers and leads an army of Gentiles against the Jews, some of whom try to escape Jerusalem and hide beyond the Jordan. This period is a time of suffering, destruction, and death, the likes of which the world has never seen. All the woes of Revelation chapter 4-19 through 19, describing God's wrath upon an evil world, this stuff takes place during the Great Tribulation. 
The Great Tribulation occurs, according to a dispensationalist, between the 69th week and the 70th week of the prophecy of Daniel in chapter 9. The assumption they make is that each week is seven years and that prophetic time stops at the end of the 69th week and until the Jews return back to Jerusalem, the prophetic clock does not continue running. The Great Tribulation is a time in which the Holy Spirit greatly restricts his activities in comparison to what he did during the church dispensation. Some go so far as to say the Holy Spirit is absent during the Great Tribulation. Uh, Others don't go that far. There is a Jewish remnant that returns to God during the Great Tribulation, possibly the 144,000 of Revelation 14, but they do not become completely, truly, genuinely Christians. Of course, you've got to... One of the things I'm going to talk about next time, I'm here, God willing, if I'm here, why I do not accept this system is that from a dispensational point of view, had the Jews accepted Jesus Christ as their leader, as their king. The Davidic kingdom, prophesied to be restored from the Old Testament, would have been restored right then and there. And Jesus would have reigned for a thousand years. And Jesus would not have died on the cross. There would have been no need for Jesus to die on the cross. The death of Jesus Christ as a propitiation, as a atonement, as a substitutionary event to save sinners, it's not necessary in this system. It's not necessary. People are saved in the Old Testament in various dispensations, in various ways, but not looking to the coming Messiah and his life of obedience and death and, on the, and resurrection. No. Uh, number six. The Great Tribulation can begin at any time. And at any time. All the signs of the Great Tribulation listed in Matthew 24, we looked at these signs. What are they? False Christs, earthquakes, famines, wars, persecutions of the church have all been fulfilled so that the Great Tribulation is imminent. Imminent, the way this word is used by these folks, any time. be any time. However, there are some additional indicators of when it will begin. And you can guess probably what those indicators are. Additional indicators of the Great Tribulation are one, the return of the Jews to Palestine and establishing a nation, a sovereign, independent nation. Supposedly, we don't have that now. The rise to power of the Antichrist. And people from the early church through the Middle Ages all the way up now have been trying to point their finger on who this man of sin, who the beast Uh, who the Antichrist is, and they've come up with all kinds of things. Very popular view back in the 
old ages, old times, was one of the popes. Missing people who were part of the visible church. That's another sign that the Great Tribulation is going to begin now. Why? Imagine I'm an unbeliever, and I come to church next Sunday, and I don't see anybody in here. And I get on the phone, and I start calling. Okay? George, are you, are you there? I don't hear from George. Okay? <laughs> Sarah, where's my wife? I thought she was coming with me. And she's gone. This is what? This is the rapture. People gone. And uh, this is going to be something that there's been a lot written about this, movies made, uh, about, the, about the rapture. You know, you're on an airline, you're flying <laughs> across the ocean, the pilot is a true believer, the rapture comes what? You better have a parachute and or a lifeboat because the plane is going down if... Um, the computer can't fly it, and the assistant uh, goes too. Uh, number eight. The Great Tribulation ends when Christ returns to earth with his saints to stop the powerful and deadly destruction of the Jews. When the Jews in Jerusalem are about to be finished off by the armies of the Antichrist, Jesus destroys them in the Battle of Armageddon. All this future. Revelation chapter 16. And then at number 9, the end of the Great Tribulation begins or brings about the thousand-year millennium. The millennium is the dispensation of the kingdom of God. Um, dispensationalists are very well known for saying, no king, no kingdom. No king, no kingdom. If you're going to have a kingdom, you've got to have a king, and we don't have a king. Our king is Jesus Christ. He will return in the future, and he will sit on his throne in Jerusalem. And that's when the kingdom will come. Now, some dispensationalists will say, you know, in the New Testament, there's some idea <laughs> that we have to allow for that the kingdom is something in the hearts of people. And Christ is ruling over his people ruling in their hearts. But that's not the kingdom that is prophesied being restored by the Old Testament prophets. The kingdom that is going to be destroyed is a glorious kingdom like that of David or Solomon. Okay? So, um, uh, the millennium is the dispensation of the kingdom of God. Jesus Christ personally rules on the entire world, or rules that should be over the entire world, from a throne in Palestine. The God-man Jesus Christ will be present. You'll see him, shake his hand, bow to him, whatever. He'll be there for a thousand years. Uh, at the first coming of Christ, he intended, Jesus intended, to establish his earthly kingdom with himself as king, but the Jews rejected him. The church was established as a substitute for the kingdom until the great tribulation is finished, until the thousand year begins. So the church is 
what might be called a uh, substitute for the kingdom of God that is uh, going to take the place of the kingdom of God until the great tribulation is over. That is most of it. Not all of it, but that is most of it. And so, um, Schofield says, and I quote, a final catastrophe of civilization. Everything poured into one awful maelstrom of destruction and suffering. This is the Great Tribulation. Uh, the former president of Dallas Seminary, um, a seminary that is that has been traditionally 100% dispensational, uh, John Woolvard. He said, quote, The book of Revelation describes the tribulation as an outpouring of the wrath of God upon an unbelieving world, Revelation 6.17, a time when apostasy and sin reach unprecedented blasphemy. It is a period which brings death to most of the world's population and destruction to civilization. Nothing like it has ever happened before. Uh, an article from Christian Life, February 1955. Um, another dispensationalist, Lewis, uh, Lewis Chafer, uh, wrote in uh, Biotheca Sacrada, the dispensation, the dispensation of the period of grace, it ends with a, quote, a Protestant purgatory. No one saved by Christ will be left behind for a supposed Protestant purgatory. Um, the Holy Spirit during the tribulation, uh, Dr. Wolverd uh, writes, the church indwelt by the Holy Spirit is removed from the earth. Again, the church indwelt by the Holy Spirit is removed from the earth. How then can anyone be saved during this period of time if the Holy Spirit is removed? Why do we need the Holy Spirit? It regenerates people, right? It regenerates people. We are what? Dead in trespasses and sins. And how does that regeneration occur? The Word of God goes out in some form and the Spirit does what? It regenerates. It makes a person alive. So the church indwelt by the Holy Spirit is removed from the earth. Then the man of sin is revealed. With his appearance, the tribulation begins. While the Holy Spirit continues to be omnipotent, his work will be similar to that before Pentecost. Again, an article in Christian Life, February 1955. Um, Schofield. The kingdom of God announced as at hand by John the Baptist, by the king himself, Jesus Christ, and by the twelve, and attested by mighty works, has been morally rejected. The rejected king now turns from the rejecting nation and offers not the kingdom, but rest and service to such as are conscious of need. The kingdom in its outward form as covenanted by or covenanted to David and described 
to the prophets has been rejected by the Jews so that, so that during this present age it will not come. Meanwhile, the kingdom was actually in the midst of the Pharisees in the person of the king and his disciples. Ultimately, the kingdom of heaven will come with outward show. Uh, page one eleven hundred of the Schofield Notes. The last thing here that I have time to read, uh, Blackstone, very well-known uh, dispensationalist, says uh, Jesus would have set up the kingdom, but they rejected and crucified him. Again, the kingdom did not come nigh when Christ came, and had they received him, it would have been manifested, but now it is in waiting until he comes again. From his book, Jesus is Coming. All right, so, a lot of information for some of you, information overload. However, if you want to hang on to this stuff, you can go back to it. It's as accurate as I could make it. Not infallible. It's as accurate as I could make it. And as we start these various chapters, um, and you ask the question, how come he is not giving a future uh, interpretation of these things? Well, it'll be because of what I say the next time. I don't think dispensationalism is right. And I'll give you some of the important reasons for it. You can anticipate some of those reasons already. One, we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. In the Old Testament, they're looking forward to the coming Messiah. They believed in him. Uh, all of the sacrificial system pointed toward that. In the New Testament, we have the actual work, personal work of Christ recorded for us. We're all saved the same. The church, I don't believe the church is an emergency fill-in institution because the kingdom of God uh, was not um, uh, accepted by the Jews. I believe the kingdom of God that is prophesied in the Old Testament is a kingdom that is a spiritual kingdom, and it is here now present. Uh, I believe that when we look at those verses about the coming of Christ, there is no secret coming that uh, results in rapturing people. I'll go through all of that next time, and then we can dig our heels and get going on this. But I want you to know why. I think that is important, and if I'm wrong, I apologize. We thank you, Father, for your word, the truth. We ask that your truth would be honored and glorified amongst us, that your truth would have its effect upon our lives so that we are faithful to you. We ask, Father, that you would help us to understand that it is important for us to know about those things that you have revealed in Revelation. There is a special blessing there for us, so we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.